Wait, are you gaming on a Chromebook? Yeah, it's got a high-res 120 hertz display, plus this killer RGB keyboard. And I can access thousands of games anytime, anywhere. Stop playing. What? Get out of here. Huh? Yeah, I want you to stop playing and get out of here so I can game on that Chromebook. Got it. Discover the ultimate cloud gaming machine, a new kind of Chromebook. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like, maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live because you shouldn't have to change teams even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. The grade cricketer is a Twitter stream. It's about playing cricket at the grade level. It's a tough, mean, dirty, dirty business being a grade cricketer. A lot of cricketers, you know, that's all they know. They've mm. done it since they're 10 and they have a deep-seated fear of change. But the grade cricket is all about being the most alpha version of yourself as possible at all costs and at all times. I don't bat or bowl. I just feel the gully, count the number of dot balls in a row, sledge 15 yards, make me feel better about myself. Thanks, Thanks champ. champ. Oh, no, you called me champ. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Grey Cricketer Podcast. Well, where else can you combine the heroics, the legendary matches, the stories, the fame, the grace of Doug Bollinger with, well, Steve Waugh? Two icons of Australian cricket join the show to discuss ashes, salads, giving 150,000%. And yes, we'll ask Steve about watching his son play against North Sydney on that fateful afternoon. We'll catch up with how we're supposed to feel post-Headingley and look forward to Old Trafford, where Kwaja is out, so is Jimmy Anderson, Stark is back, and Mitch Marsh is still Mitch Marsh. Hashtag Ask TGC involves seeing Johnny Bairstow at Twickenham, knocking in a bat in an apartment block, wearing smugglers in the showers, and what cricket has done to one 17-year-old in the final year of school. My name is Ian Higgins, and I'm joined by Dave Edwards in Sydney and Sam Perry in Melbourne, and boys. How does everyone feel after the third test there? Uh, <laughs> evening here goes, evening Dave. Oh, look, I, you know, I feel buoyed. We talk about the seven stages of grieving a lot in cricket, don't we? Always. I think I'm at the end stage. It's always hard to know as an Australian whether that's just, uh, you know, whether that's woke revisionism or just denial, you know, <laughs> on our part. And it'll be interesting to see that from Australia as well. A lot of the Australian, you know, what's coming out of the Australian camp is, look, we feel good, you know, everything's looking really good, feeling really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I do think they've acknowledged what happened. You know, because that was that was a real phenomenon. That was a real moment, mm-hmm. and everything always comes back to the grade cricketer. He said arrogantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did note that as the you know little bits of details are emerging now of what happened in the immediate aftermath of that you know phenomenal fixture, and bit, like details will be emerging for the next kind of twenty years, obviously. Oh yeah. But in the immediate aftermath, it's um, you know, that Tim Payne went to the dressing room and composed himself. And uh, just before he delivered one of the great addresses, you know, he needed he needed a theme, he needed a setting mm. to get himself right. And of course, where do you go for that? The tubs. He went to the showers. <laughs> and there's been no like I've never seen more column inches in international cricket devoted right. to shower talk column inches than there has been this week. <laughs> talking inches uh, yeah. than there was with Tim Payne's solo tub after the match. And it could be the solo tub, and I'd be interested to know about his status for that tub, um, whether that tub actually turns the series back in Australia's favour because apparently he delivered an amazing address. He just said, boys, it's 1-1. Didn't Stokes play well? He had a day out, and uh, apparently they're good to go. 
I think um, I think Churchill did some of his best work in the showers as well. Um, Edo, so do you. I mean, how, how do you feel? You know, you've taken a week to um, to soak in what happened at Headingley. Are, are you are you mentally scarred, prepared for Old Trafford? How do you feel? <laughs> uh, I mean, well, I learned that Justin Langer was physically sick after Headingley. I mean, we all were. <laughs> I, I certainly was, and, and I dealt mm. with that sickness by avoiding social media for an entire week, and and I feel much better for it. Um, now, Old Trafford, I mean, Old Trafford to me is exciting. You know, it means Warnie's gadding ball, first mm. and foremost. And, you know, I've already read an article on that just to whet my appetite for endless sure. montages over the next week or so. <laughs> you know, just really looking yeah. forward to, you know, Richie Benno's understated commentary and Gadding's mm-hmm. bemused expression, Warnie's mm. peroxided hair. We were good then. Old Trafford has good, positive memories for us. And, you know, Gadding will talk about how he thought the ball bounced off Healy's pads. Heels will talk about how he moved to the leg side before being shocked at the amount of drift and <laughs> violent turn that it got. And Warney will say, you know, for the 10th time in a row on Twitter, wow, I can't believe it's been 27 years <laughs> since that's happened. Um, it's a favourite bedtime story for us and it makes us feel safe and comfortable. And that's what we need to feel now that, um, you know, what, with what has happened a week ago, well, we've all just forgotten about it. Let's just treat it as an outlier. Let's just remember our previous dominance over England. Let's just push forward, always moving forward. So by looking back, can I just, can I just interject on the, the worn ball as well? Uh, just a number of people I've heard in, you know, the cricketing elite, among the cricketing elite, I'll leave it at that, who have uh, both privately and openly questioned Richie Bennett's commentary of that ball. Oh, come um, on. To those people, A, don't worry, like, your commentary stints will come when you're older. <laughs> and B, just get that idea in the bin. It was Absolutely. understated and beautiful. Cheers. Okay, sorry, you guys. No, I'm more of a Mark Taylor, Peter Sue got a hat-trick on his birthday kind of man myself. But Mate, uh, Jamie you know, Brayshaw. Each, I think Jamie Brayshaw would have treated that with the respect it deserved. <laughs> oh, the big oil. I like he called him Jamie, which I think he's not been called since about 97. <laughs> <laughs> Alfred. Um, so one thing that's happened in the, in, the, uh, in the immediate days after the match, lads, was this sort of revisionism of the Stokes LBW. Now, I, I don't understand. Now, a friend of the show... Uh, Ali Martin has said on Twitter, you know, you know, we're, we're gaslighting you, and that may well be the case. But what I don't understand is, like, first of all, can we all accept? Can the eyes have it in the room? It was fucking plum. It was missing nothing except maybe leg and off stump. It was absolutely plum. And the revision of the revision, the revisionism of it, if I can speak, would be that, like, I don't understand. Like, why wouldn't you celebrate? that like England have won a World Cup and a huge, significant test match in this series by massive umpiring mistakes. Why wouldn't you celebrate that? I don't understand it. Like, if that was Australia, this is the Stephen Bradbury moment, you know, for, yeah. the, the rest of the, rest of the, the, rest of the uh, competition falling over at the final hurdle. And, like, you know, between Dharma Seema and Joe Wilson, they've both got it wrong massively. And, like, you, why aren't they celebrating it, lads? Hmm. Well, look, it's... Um well, I mean, the the short answer, if you're from England, and rightly so, is what Ali says. It is gaslighting. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, who knows what these English people are saying in their private conversations. <laughs> they probably are saying, that was fucking salmon. I don't know why I've got the word salmon in my head so much. <laughs> salmon trout. Three reds. Three I, I've reds. never used that in my life. But for some reason, every time I see Nathan Lyons ball, I just go, oh, it's fucking salmon. <laughs> like I'm reduced... <laughs> I'm reduced to just being this like mono or bisyllabic person. Yeah. Uh, who, like, Embrace it. No other words. It's a simpler way to live. <laughs> um, 
because I'm, I'm so lost for words at how. You know, but it was just one was. of those fucking LBWs where you just see. It's like when you're, you know, you're in the nets and you're watching someone and, they, and you just shout out like involuntarily, <laughs> "Fuck off!" Like you're yeah. out. Yeah. It's one of those ones. I don't care what yeah. technology says. We we place a lot of faith in technology these days. I mean, you know, I mean, the science is in on certain things, including climate change. But with regards to DRS, I'm, I don't take too much stock in DRS. I saw what I saw, and that was fucking out. <laughs> it's starting to get a little bit pernicious. Yeah. Like all phenomena in society, it's starting to kind of devolve into identity politics. Hmm. And I've started to hear the word kind of, uh, you know, Austra- like, you know, very Australian or un-Australian coming into play, you know, when it comes to expressing one's views in yeah. relation to this LBW. And I do wonder whether... Some people might enjoy being considered a bit un-Australian, you know, to underscore maybe their um, sophistication and friendship with the English people. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, uh, all I can say is, you know, and I'm sorry to swear to current and future employers, but um, fucking salmon, and um, and that is confirmed by um, the technology, it's confirmed yeah. by the eyes at the time, it's confirmed yeah. by the eyes it's in retrospect. It's confirmed by the eyes um, at the and time. I'm sorry, yeah. And I'm sorry that the ball wasn't going under the stumps. How incontrovertible do you need it to be? Mm. And let me finish by saying... Therefore, that is funny. That is funny for English people. I hope that if you are English, you are laughing at this. Mm-hmm. Um, but the um, contention that it was anything but out is uh, is, is extremely bemusing um, and has its own identity issues sitting underneath it. And when you say the eyes said it was out, I presume you're talking about the Handmaid's Tale kind of stuff, um, so sort of a big brother organisation confirming Naturally. and ruling everything. Mm-hmm. Um one thing that I've been thinking about during the week is like, um, as you guys know, and I, and, I, and I debrief with you regularly about, I, I can remember every single drop catch I've ever had, right? And, <laughs> you know, first of all, Marcus Harris and probably maybe Dave Warner probably got away with it a bit because um, Nathan Lyon has had a moment that he will literally never be able to forget. Um, and like, I've watched that. I've painfully watched that um, many times. There's like the whole team are running down the middle of the pitch when the ball's thrown to Lyon. Like, Payne is, like, halfway down the wicket and then he has to, like, stop celebrating, turn around, <laughs> turn around to go back to the stumps as Lyon drops the ball. And I kind of, like, had this thought of, like, Payne in, in the showers after the game, like, reenacting the Goodwill hunting scene where he just says, like, it's not your fault. And Lyon goes, I know. And then <laughs> Payne says, no, it's not your fault. He says it over and over again until Lyon is embraced um, yeah. in the showers. But, like, like... He will never be able to forget that moment. And I'm like, that must be so painful. You know, yeah. it's like part of it's funny because it's just a game, isn't it? But at the same yeah. time, when you live your life within the parameters of professional sport, that has got to be just ultra demoralizing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Bat and ball sports we're talking about here. Hmm. Um, yeah. Well, I guess we'll find, I mean, I wonder if it will emerge, you know, in the days, months, years that oh, it actually skipped off the deck a little bit. Oh, yeah, I'm a bit concerned. That Throws, up, Pat. Was a bit, Throws up, Pat. Throws up. It was actually a straight-off break, you know, if you look at it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> who, who, who knows? I mean, uh, yeah, it's, it's funny who kind of – which stories will be forgotten uh, given how kind of like – uh, how huge Lions fumble was like a, mm. on uh, the final word the other day. Great podcast with Adam uh, Collins, Jeff Lemon. They interviewed Pat Cummins, and he made the point that um, uh, he was a bit disappointed that uh, like Stokes's final shot for four, uh, where all the footage will be secured and played endlessly, um, was um, uh, you know that he delivered that ball. Mm. <laughs> so it's like he's just forever going to be immortalised. But mm. I don't think um, people are going to remember who bowled that final ball to Stokes. They're going to remember Lyon. Mm. Um, all right. Well, let's move forward um, into the future. 
um, and the fourth test match at Old Trafford is happening. It's actually happening tomorrow. That's uh, that's 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 crept up on me. I, I, I didn't realize that till today. I thought it might be a Thursday start, but it's a Wednesday start. Um, eight o'clock for Australian viewers on the Eastern Seaboard. Uh, now I'm just uh, reading out uh, the timetable for television. Um, I, I find it really interesting because. Everyone's sort of saying, like, that is an dear moment in this series and now England are going to cruise or they'll, they'll sort of use that momentum swing and win the series, you know, 3-1 or, or whatever. And, like, I kind of look at the series as a whole and at no point in, in the whole series have England looked like beating Australia. I mean, it, it, at, at, in the, going to the final day of Lords, it was either going to be Australia or Australia win or a draw in that series. Ben Stokes has an absolute world. He scores a fantastic 100. You know, third test match, exactly the same thing. We're sort of forgetting right. that Australia absolutely smashed England in the first test match by a, a million and 62 runs and two wickets. Um, and so it, it's, it's sort of surprising that, like, whilst the perception is that Smith is holding the Australian team together, well, Ben Stokes is doing more so than what they, even Smith was doing in the three tests beforehand. So it's interesting moving forward. I mean, how do you guys foresee the fourth test planning out? Uh, like I can see the argument that England take momentum and mm-hmm. I know that there's been a kind of counter message put out there by Australia, particularly by Tim Payne saying, well, you don't, they don't get to pack momentum in their kit bags, using a mm. nice little metaphor there. Nice. Kind of but, um, like I think if you step back, if you, I mean, I can, I can already, I can already hear the, like the, um, the sound of the Old Trafford crowd, you know, as that match starts and their anticipation that they're watching, you know, a great England fight back. And I, I think if you consider that, like, how how much England are on the rise in this series, as in so many of their players that might have been a bit fatigued after the World Cup, might have been struggling, have just now come into the series. And then when you add Joffre Archer in, so you've got Archer, who's obviously, um, you know, pretty tough prospect for the Aussie batsmen. Uh, if you factor in that... Bearstow's come into the series a little bit. He, he played a pretty decent hand in that second innings. If you factor in that Joe Root's now come into the series with a pretty long innings, Joe Denley's now got a, a, a long knock under his belt and some confidence. Uh, and obviously Ben Stokes is, as we've said before, walking on air. Uh, you know, a lot of those, England seem to be getting better, you know, and growing into the series. And I think mm-hmm. the, the question can be rightly asked, you know, did Australia miss their chance just there? On the Australian front, how many of their players are kind of growing into the series? It's a little bit harder to answer that question. Uh, obviously, they've made some changes, and we'll get to that, and, and Steve Smith comes back in, Marnus Labuschagne's come in, but really, there's a few players who seem to have kind of found their level, uh, and it's, you know, you're sort of hoping that someone can come out, you know, maybe Warner needs to do something, you know, but like, I'm, I'm not sure where those, where those extra runs come from for Australia, so. Hmm. All right. That's the argument. Uh, well, Dave, I'll throw to you. Kawaja mm. is out. Kawaja's been dropped. Um, Harris yeah. retains his spot at the top of the order. So probably Labuschagne at three. Uh, Smith comes right. in at four. Uh, how do you feel about Usman being dropped for the fourth test? Yeah, I'm a, I don't know much about stats, but mm-hmm. I do know that Kawaja is the best average of any test opening batsman in the history of cricket, which surprised <laughs> me today when I read that. But that's... I mean, I know it's a small sample size, but okay. that is interesting data. Yes. And he's... I mean, he's not technically a specialist, though, is he? So... We need to pick someone who's an inferior batsman who typically opens. <laughs> Even, mm. you know, when Kwaja does open, despite not doing it much, there's significant data to suggest that he's actually very effective at it. Mm. Uh, but we've gone Paris, fine, okay. The interesting thing for me about Kwaja was that he was captain in the tour game. So what mm. the 
to me, what the selectors are saying here is that means nothing. Like, two games are essentially meaningless if you're going to make a bloke captain and one that just drop him the next game. So just the deception of Maybe making him captain. Him down mm. lightly. Like, they're trying to give him a bit of a gift, you know, yeah. like to do with your child or something before you um, send him off to boarding school or something. Yeah. You know, take him out to lunch. I thought that exactly, except I was going to use a corporate analogy about giving someone a bonus and then making moves behind the scenes to terminate them on grounds of incompetence. But the same thing applies um, with both analogies. So a friend of the show uh, of ESP and Crick Info, Dan Bredig, suggests that um, Kawhi should be right in the candidacy to replace Tim Payne for captaincy whenever that moment does come. which is an interesting thought because it's it's pretty sparse. It's pretty sparse between um, who's going to captain between Payne retiring and Steve Smith inevitably getting the job again. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, for me personally, uh, I, I was kind of calling, wasn't calling for it necessarily, but I could see it happening. I mean, Kwaja, Pez, you, 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 I think you had the start. It was a four tours now one fifty. I think I think like the, the the sample size there is far bigger than Kwaja um, opening the batting, for instance. And I, I think he's a fantastic batsman. He's one of the best batsmen in Australia, particularly in Australia. He had a fantastic series in Asia as well but in England it just doesn't seem to be working out for him and I actually think whilst Harris Harris is an inferior batsman overall um, I think he is actually more likely to score runs at the top of the order uh, in my opinion now one of the interesting things happened during the week was Mitch Marsh was uh, was sort of hinted that he would be brought in back into the squad and uh, how laughable that seemed uh, says a lot about um, Mitch Marsh's position within the uh, the cricketing public uh, given that he is actually in the squad uh, and he is you know uh, one of the best 14 cricketers uh, in Australia 15 cricketers in Australia but mm. the, the suggestion that he would be brought into the team was like well that's a fucking joke isn't it yeah, well, it's like almost like a Trojan horse, wasn't it? Like they they used Mitch Marsh to distract us. It was a distraction <laughs> yeah. tool. Yeah, much it's been popularised in the Trump administration. I actually sure. like the concept of Mitch Marsh much more than the actual product itself, and I like yep. what he stands for. He's representative of this future where we can resolve all our problems through just this single off-the-shelf product that does it all. Like he's he's like a two-in-one shampoo and conditioner. Like he performs the duty of both. <laughs> The shampoo and the conditioner products, but in reality, you'd be better served actually getting a dedicated shampoo and a conditioner from a trusted salon brand. And, sure. You know, yeah, like where, where in the world yeah. is it hard, because I have no hair, but where in the world is it hard to keep your hair clean, presumably in kind of like dusty climes or... Humidity, you know, people that, struggle with humidity. High um, humidity or whatever. Time for society yeah. though these days, like we, we don't have time for that spending three minutes to let the shampoo soak in and then rinse it and apply the conditioner. We need a fucking... We need a three-in-one product, a shampoo, a conditioner, and a body wash. Mm. Well, but let's, let's say if you are going to the Daintree rainforest, you know, where there's high humidity, right, and you, you're trying to look after your hair, like, you, you mm. need a specialist shampoo, yeah, don't you? Do. Yeah. Like, this is... Daintree forest is fucking test cricket in England, yeah. you know, and, like, the, the idea that you get a two-in-one for the Daintree rainforest if you've got hair, which I don't, and you're trying to use that to clean your hair, well, you're only going to get a substandard result. And I think that's how we all felt at the suggestion yeah. that Mitch Marsh would come in because that's, you know, the best indication of future performance is past performance, right? Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, was it an old Trevor Holmes dummy? You know, there's been a lot of talk about rugby league this week given the touch footy game, the highly publicised touch footy mm. game that the, the team played. Oh, yeah. Did Trevor Holmes sell his own dummy? And if so, why? Like, we were talking about distraction theory. Did, did we need to be distracted and talk about Mitch Marsh for two days? Nobody needed that. <laughs> <laughs> Colin Inches, though. I mean, we, we talked about Colin Inches earlier. What were they protecting us from talking about? Is something else happening in the Australian side? What are they distracting us from? I was very happy to talk about Steve Smith's face ball. 
to minus Labuschagne mm-hmm. and whether there was separation and whether he got that ball down. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, it should be added, have been saying, it came out in the Australian today, that Travis Head didn't know what he was doing. Well, he, had, he ran a wonderful outline um, for that ball. He did get cut, but he brought Marcus Harris in, just created the space for Labuschagne to score. So a bit harsh on Travis Head as well. I'll be expecting big things from him at Old Trafford. I think what's happening here is that Trevor Holmes is distracting us from what's going on in Indonesia. You know, Jakarta's sinking, they're mm-hmm. going to move the capital of Borneo. Okay. This is all part Hong of, Kong you know, the government going on there. I mean, this is all part of it. I kind of think as well that, like, Australia spent 14, years trying to find you know flint off 05 and now one test immediately after stokes 19 we're just looking for stokes uh so looking for stokes 19 now so we can look forward yeah. to that but that's what we can't, can't, hey, we can't just like we're not going to find him but yeah. no one's saying it like, to, like but everyone's like we're not going to find him it's like no one's saying that we're going to find him mm. all that happened was that hones said like they asked hones uh you know what do you think of mitch marsh does he come into calculations he top scored and he's like yeah he's batted well and, uh, yeah, a reason for picking No indication. Gabe, no indication that he'd be actually He's just selected. not left-handed. He just made a simple point that he's not left-handed. But he, Ben he, Stokes he's, he's a fact. is like... Ben Stokes is a three-in-one product that actually works. So well, unless yes. we literally steal England's IP, and Ben Stokes is their yeah. intellectual property, of course, we cannot yeah. simply replicate him using inferior materials, which is what Mitch Marsh is. He's not made of the same raw materials that Ben Stokes has been created right. from, so it would be foolhardy to attempt such a selection. Ben Stokes is NASA products that haven't actually been released to the yeah. public that are being sort of yeah, tried only used for, by um, military and yeah for intergalactic Stokes war is, down the track Stokes is Area 51 warfare. shit isn't he I mean that's like that's mm. that's the reason people are going to storm Area 51 or they were a month yeah. ago uh, but they stopped doing that anymore um, okay now someone else has been brought into the squad is Mitch Stark I suspect he's going to play because he's, he's been quite a big deal he's been brought into the squad Pattinson out um, we're just truly talk, really talking in Australian terms here before we get on to Anderson and, uh, and Overton being brought in but um, is everyone expecting Stark to play Mate, I reckon this is this is quite an interesting one, and it cuts to mm. the heart of a lot of like uh, elite cricket conversation and then public conversation, right? And I, I, I'm I feel torn by it, right? Because I, I am a bit of a subscriber to the England momentum thing, and I think England, you know, the English players and England generally are quite good front runners. You know, we we see when Australia goes well, they all say that they're going to lose. But as soon as they get ahead, they sort of they they can put the foot down. The the upside of Stark, as I see it, like strategically is that um, in a scenario where England have just about made their way back into the series and Ben Stokes now looks impregnable, Mm -hmm. here is a guy that gives England a different problem to solve. Uh, It's a problem of pace. It's Mm -hmm. a problem of reverse swing, if if it's as dry as they say that it is. Uh, And Stark has got the... um, you know, has, has had some success against Stokes. Uh, I, he's bowled some good balls to him. Also, he can dismiss the tail. So Stark, in many ways, is a bit of an, an antidote to the two things that Australia psychologically will struggle against after Headingley, Stokes and getting out the last fucking guy. <laughs> so that, that part's <laughs> really Mutually assured good. destruction. But, yeah, as a, exactly. But as um, a, you know, a, a, a former international player said to me, out the side of his mouth, um, <laughs> via text, that is, you know, mate, you know... He's no good if he's spray, if he's going to spray him around everywhere, is he? Now I'm, I'm assuming that accent from what he wrote on WhatsApp. Um, <laughs> Are you talking to Warney on WhatsApp? Yeah, no, 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 no. Um, uh, this guy doesn't talk like that at all. But um, it was just look if he's spraying him around everywhere, why would you pick him? And uh, like, I, I guess that's a fair point too. And I sort of followed up and I said, like, is that? Hmm. Can we kind of deduce that if they've not picked him, then he probably is spraying him around in the nets and just, you know, I just got a yep. But it was a Y, just a Y. I didn't need to, they didn't oh, need to right. write the other two letters. Well, uh, I mean, the so only upside, 
I, I can see is we, we've done this with other players. Like we've we deprived Josh Hazelwood of playing in the World Cup and the first mm-hmm. test, and now he's bowling unbelievably well. Mm-hmm. Steve Smith's obviously killing it after being out for twelve months. So the strategy of depriving test ready mm-hmm. players through suspensions, yeah, deprivation theory and or like weird selection policy seems to be paying dividends in the longer term, okay. albeit costing us in the short term. It's like, fucking treat him mean, keep him keen, is what I'm saying. Yeah. We've played hard to get with Stark. We have. And how keen is he? Let's find but out. Stark, Stark needs to be nurtured. You know, for all, all of Warren's ultra-aggressive, you know, assessments of Stark's body language, he is a guy who does need to be like, he's not a guy you can get up. You know, it's uh, it's sort of any given Sunday, you know, Friday Night Light stuff. You know, you got you got to mm. nurture some players. Uh, remember the times is what I'm He's thinking. Arm of. around the shoulder. Yeah, you got to right. arm around the you shoulder. Have one lot of one on ones with him, little walks I, around the oval, little laps. Yeah, you got to get a lap, Stark. You want to come? From, yeah, I'll, I'll do a lap. Yeah, I'll do a lap. Uh, I, I, I worry about the sweeping change nature of like Australia had every right to win the um, third test match by a hundred plus runs and like they couldn't get the last guy out and they couldn't get Stokes out and we all remember the Yorker that Stokes uh, that um, Stark bowled to Stokes in the World Cup absolute peach one of the best balls you'll ever see right. but I, I worry too much about the sweeping change nature which we've seen in the past well you um, hate change Australia. you've always hated change I don't like change Dave and that's what this is about but so I, I don't know I think Siddle has been doing an, an awesome job but I mean there is the thing as well there's three days between test match four and five so uh, there could be a rotation thing well th- like this here. is the great question though he goes and like I'm really interested in which way they go because you can guarantee that like if Stark's selected about 45% of people go oh panic right but mm-hmm. like what's also interesting is that like if Australia kind of in this uh, what's the word like you know super stubborn way commit to their existing philosophy which is really just about dry lines and not conceding four balls, which is the antithesis of the way Stark bowls. Mm. You know, it's kind of like 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 Siddle versus Stark is like the battle for the philosophy of the Australian side mm-hmm. at the moment. So if you pick Siddle, who's in the squad now, it's kind of like, you know, we're just going to give you... We, we believe we're going to eventually beat you in the arm wrestle. And you know that Australians can be, uh, you know, very pig-headed about the, that stuff. They can go, well, no, this is our plan. We're sticking with it. We know cricket better than you, and we're going to win with this plan. It's a, like... It's, it is a really... So you think panic stations? <laughs> yeah, well, because it is binary. Obviously, mm. if they go with Siddle, it means they're being conservative. It means they're being sensible. They're staying with a sensible mm. centre. Mm. And if they go with Stark, um, that's bringing in socialism or fascism or either yeah. side of the politics. And um, But maybe that, that's a kind of you know fundamental economic change we need. <laughs> that's what they're doing in Italy. Um, all right, Dave, just before we get on, uh, we're now taking just, just, just a 25 minutes to get to talking about England, um, and we'll give this 35 seconds. But uh, James Anderson has been ruled out of the Ashes. Craig Overton's come into the squad right. to replace him for Manchester anyway. Um, I mean, how significant do you think over the course of the season? Because I, I feel like if Anderson's playing, it would give them a bit of a selection headache for one, um, especially now that Mo and Ali's out of the squad as well. But, like, right. I mean, it, it, it's, it's surely huge that Anderson has bowled four overs in this Ashes. Yeah, I mean he's out of the ashes now, and we don't need to think about him anymore, which is which is great because he was all we were thinking about in the yep. lead up to the ashes. So Big that's time. you know one horrible situation removed, which is good for us. Um, I mean Craig Overton replacing him. Overton doesn't scare me. I mean I'm sure he bowls good lines and length. I'm sure he's a lovely bloke. Doesn't scare me. Doesn't incite <laughs> fear in me or other Australians, I presume. So I mean. I don't know much about him. I'm sure he's mm. going to do a good job. <laughs> but um, I'm very, very thankful James Anderson isn't playing. Mm. Who are you Who am I scared of? of? Yeah. In cricket? Who scares you? Yeah, in no, cricket. No, no, generally. Yeah, anything. Generally. Anything. 
oh, mate, where do I start? Every time I walk outside my house, the next-door neighbour scares me. I walk across the road, bloke owns the cafe, hates me. Um, go to the bus stop, bus driver doesn't want to fucking accept me when I don't have enough money on my Opal card. It's tough. Life's tough. Pez Boomer took a hatchery against West Indies. Thoughts? <laughs> well, firstly, it's great that I just just on James Anderson. Oh, yeah. um, it's a shame that he won't be able to bowl from the James Anderson end. Just That's to say true. That. Just to see it like novelty. It would have been fun for like ten seconds, mm. uh, and then annoying. Mm. Like the slope. <laughs> <laughs> but unlike Warren's gadding ball, <laughs> just watch that shit forever. That's just sex. Yeah. Well, Boomer, you know. It's not, it's you know you always feel it's like uh, when you watch a band early. Not that like we saw you know what we saw from Boomer last yeah, year yeah. was his early Doors stuff, but like in relation to maybe what some of the, our English friends have seen. There's a lot of English people sort of going, "Oh, is this is this guy any good?" And uh, yeah, he's he's the best. And I thought someone else. Um, but on the band a, analogy, he's still playing the same hits. This isn't like his second mm, album. It's the same yeah. fucking cool shit he came out with. Yeah. just playing him overseas exactly. now. Yeah. I think it was um it was Dave Tickner on Twitter, a very, very good follower on Twitter, very funny, who said uh, in Boomer and Archer, the best the two best fast bowlers in the world don't have run ups. Mm. <laughs> That's um mm. uh, you know, really interesting if you like cricket, but I forgot uh, sorry for saying something Ernest said. <laughs> Number one test bowler in the world though, Pat Cummins. But I tell you who was good at Lords against the slope, Glenn McGrath. Jeezy, use it well, just nip it up and down the hill. No dramas. All right, um, that's that's enough from us. Our Indian fans will be hugely satisfied with that 15 seconds of Jasper yeah. Boomer. It's kind of like when Voges got like 200 or, or whatever and Sean Marsh, they batted for like three days against West Indies. Does it count? Mm, not sure. Um, that's me just denigrating international cricketer's success. All right, uh, we're going to speak to Doug Bolliger and Steve War now, uh, then hashtag ICGC. Lads, we don't sort of do this very often these days, that is, uh, call out the statistics, but let's just do this one for fun. Um, I'm just going to say some numbers. 168 tests, 10,927 runs, a high score of 200, an average of 51.06, 32 50-50s, 92 wickets, a best of 5 for 28, 3 fifers, 356 first-class matches, 24,052 runs, highest of 216 not out, average of 51.94, 79 tonnes, 97.50s. Uh, he's an Australian cricketing demigod. He's the face of our dominance and our success, and most importantly right now, our national collective sense of safety. He's been rushed into camp for Old Trafford, and because of that, it's our deep pleasure to introduce for the second time to the grade cricketer, Stephen Roger War. Tugger, hello. Thanks, boys. Thanks for the introduction. You just forgot my catches. <laughs> <laughs> How many catches do you, do you recall? Oh, I can't remember. You're welcome. Um, Steve, let's, uh, let's start earnestly uh, because there are a number of people yep. listening to this cast who felt physically sick after the events of Headingley. They wrote to us, they texted us, they were looking for solace. We couldn't provide any because we were down to. Uh, Tugger, you are the king of winning, the king of all things psychology. What's your message to the Australians out there ahead of Old Trafford? Can you Rouse us! I oh, know, definitely. Look, the guys are in, they're in good, good space right now. Um, yeah, obviously, like all Australians, I watched that myself, and um, it was one of those incredible Test matches. Wrong, wrong end of the result, but at the end of the day, we, we probably dominated that Test match all of the last ten overs. So, there's plenty of uh, positives to take out of that. Um, they put themselves in a position to win the match. Um, ben Stokes' individual brilliance. I mean, it was really uh, one of the great Test match innings. So, someone's here. 
Throw your hands up and say um, it was just one of those days, much like in Calcutta in 2001, where Dravid and Laxman battled the whole day, and Laxman got 281. It was um, sometimes got to walk away and say, well, they were better than us on the day. So that's the way Test cricket goes. But it's, um, it sets itself up for a fantastic two Test matches to go, and we have the team to, to definitely win this series. So just on the mood, sorry, here goes. Just on the mood, Tugger. I mean, yeah, you you spent the first two Tests with the squad before reuniting. Now, has the mood changed? between now and then? And secondly, how much secret pleasure have you taken by their complete capitulation in your absence? <laughs> I'll disregard the second part of that question. But Please the, do. The first part, um, yeah, look, uh, I think the mood, mood's good. Um, I've, training yesterday was a, an exceptional training. Uh, and I, I tend to judge um, training sessions on the way the guys feel. Um, that, that, to me, is, um, is an attitude thing. And the feeling session yesterday was spot on. The guys, plenty of enthusiasm, uh, energy, and and quality in that session. So to me, guys look in good shape. I've only been here two days. I haven't noticed any uh, negative mood in the camp at all. In fact, they're excited about the challenge of the last two test matches um, and, and what's, what's lying ahead because it is a great opportunity for side to really claim their own identity and to get the Ashes back for 18 years. So, um, you know, this is uh, what you play test cricket for. These moments and the last two tests are going to be so exciting for the players. And, of course, all the Aussies who... Um, you know, when I got up back home for 10 days, it made me realise how much this team is supported by the Australian public. Well, you've obviously got some great personal memories, Steve, at Old Trafford. Obviously, you got 100 there in each innings in 1997. So I presume you've been sort of, you know, talking the boys through each one of those runs, sort of pointing out, um, you know, where to get your singles, <laughs> short boundaries, how the wicket plays, that sort of thing. I've got about six days to do that, mate. So uh, that'll come over <laughs> time. But, um, it's actually funny because I, I walked out, so I hadn't been back to... Um, Manchester. I was briefly there for the semi-final this year's World Cup, but it's the first time I walked out in the field, and it was like I was almost lost there because the, the ground has totally changed. In fact, the configuration of the pitches, the pitch is totally the opposite way to the way it used to be. Um, there are new stands there. The field just doesn't resemble what it what it did back uh, 20 years ago. So for me, um, you know, the change rooms in different position. It's um, it's like being at a new ground. So those memories are sort of um, pretty foggy when you go on the ground because you, you can't really get your bearings. Have you ever gotten, just a, an aside to that, have you ever gotten out in a match and then just walked the wrong way to the dressing room because you've been disorientated? I just always wonder that about um, Oh, no, I haven't done that, but I've walked, I walked out to Lords to the wrong, actually jump out of the fence and walked out the wrong entrance. Uh, the first time I played at Lords because as a young kid, I played to Somerset, never been to Lords before, and... Um, you walk down the stairs, the players race, and you sort of turn right and go through the long room. And as I did that, I thought, why am I walking through here? There was like hundreds of members there all eating lunch, <laughs> smoking cigars. I must be the wrong way. So I instead went straight ahead past the, I think it's the writing room, out the wrong door, and then realised there's no entrance to the field. So I actually hopped over the fence at Lord's. So I'm thinking I'm probably the only cricketer ever to do that. <laughs> so I've gone out the wrong way, but I've always made my way back okay. Uh, so got, there's been a lot of uh, conversation, a lot of fun conversation about the roles both uh, you and Ricky Ponting have played both through the World Cup and now mm. the Ashes. Uh, and there's a lot of conversation about the role you're playing with Justin Lang, and we might ask you about that mm. a little bit later. Um, I know you're aware of your value to the Australian squad, but as the cameras swing to you on the various balconies of England's pavilions, <laughs> are you aware yeah. of the impact that your visible televised presence has on the <laughs> nation and how we feel and our sense of safety? And do you just squint those eyes a little bit more knowing that at home at sort of 11pm... 1am, it, it feels really good to see. Yeah, mate, I think, think I've had actually get some sort of sponsorship, you know, like some sort of sunglass sponsorship or some sort of tattoo put on my face because I didn't realise how much time I was going to spend on the TV, to tell you the truth. But, um, 
they have got these cameras now, which are totally focused on the support staff. So mm. you can't avoid the cameras. But um, yeah, look, at um, I didn't expect it on TV as much. In fact, I get regular messages saying, "Get your melon off TV." Which you've seen it. So um, yeah, I thought I would have thought the action would have been out in the field. But um, but these days, it always looks like something a little bit different. Oh man, yeah. if, if there was an opportunity for a Steve War cam at like difficult moments during the Ashes oh. matches, oh, I, yeah. I'd be clicking oh. that. You know, and yeah, I, I just wonder. Like whether, I know you can't really reveal this, but I wonder whether maybe the comms manager or Gav Dovey or something said, "Look, we need you back on the balcony, Tugger, at any point, just <laughs> given what's happening in the match. Like the nation needs it." Oh, look, man, I'm, I'm happy if it makes Australians feel more secure. And, um, and um, yeah, look, I think it's um, look, part of what my role here in, in seeing is it, it's sort of behind the scenes, you know, with the players. And just this morning, you now we, we go for a walk every morning. Mitch Marsh has mm. got this walking coffee club, and that's sort of where. I guess I do most of my work as you know, just casual conversations, pick up on the vibe of the group and maybe what the issues are underlying of the team and maybe if they're concerned about something or uh, they want to know a bit about um, you know, the, the ground we're playing at or the opposition, I'll just mm. pick my brain. So my role is sort of uh, behind the scenes and I tend to sort of, you know, try to get the players more confident and relaxed and that's uh, you know, in, in the one-on-one situation. Mm. It's not about making big speeches in the, in the team room. It's that's you know, the coach's job and the captain and I just try and fit in behind those guys and and try to give them some, some comfort and, uh, and and guidance as to, you know, to hopefully they're on, on the right track. So, Tugger, you've, um, you've likened Justin Langer to a great psychologist, a man who complements his reserves of knowledge with the control of the mind and so on. Do you still stand by this statement after he admitted he wanted to cry his eyes out and or smash up his hotel room in Leeds following the loss? <laughs> Uh, look, that's understandable. Man, I think the rest of Australia was still in the same way. Um, look, he's very—he gets very emotional, Lang, and he wears every—he he rides every ball. And that's, um, as he said, it's like he's the players are like his own kids. I mean, he's like a father figure to a lot of these guys. Um, you know, it's a lot of tough, tough love as well. They respect him. He loves coaching Australia. It's incredible um, respect for the baggy green. So, you know, he's going to show his emotions occasionally. That's why I think that's what Australian supporters want. They want someone who cares, and he <laughs> certainly does that. And um, you know, it's, um, that last test match was obviously a bit, a bit of a pill to swallow because when he's so close to retaining the Ashes and it, it's taken away from you, then it's, it's only natural to show some emotion. But um, mm. he's, um, you know, he's great with the, with the guys and um, he has a real good sense of um, picking up the vibe in the players and knowing when to speak to someone and, uh, and to, to give them confidence sometimes, other times to, to, to be a little bit, um, I guess, harsh and, and tell them some home truths. So... Yeah, that's what it's about being a coach. You've got to adult conversations, and he's very good at those. So I, I sense there's there's some sort of like weird pressure externally um, around Tim Payne, his captaincy, his place in the team. I mean, you, you captain Australia in tests 57 yep. times. I mean, that's more than quadruple number of times most test careers even last. I mean, can you put into words the job that you think Tim Payne's done from the perspective of the crisis in which the team yep. and, and the whole sport in Australia mm-hmm. found itself in and went, from when he took over up until now? I think he's done an exceptional job. I don't think any, any Australian captain's been thrown in that scenario where it was so volatile and everyone had an opinion and um, and you really couldn't please everyone. I mean, you had to find, you had to find a way to do it his way uh, in conjunction with Justin Lang. And I think they've done an incredible job to turn the team around. And, you know, I find it very unfair, unfair some of the criticism you copped after the last Test match. Um, you look back at that um, you know, final couple of hours and we were really beaten by a guy that played... You know, the innings of a lifetime, one of probably the 10 best test innings of all time. Mm. I thought our bowlers did a pretty good job. We we missed some half chances, and uh, and that happens under pressure. That's, that's always been the case in cricket, and it always will be. So for him, the cop criticism for Australia to lose that, um, yeah, sure, the referral was, was uh, probably the, not the right option, but 
a fair one under pressure out in the middle and um, and you think it's your last opportunity, then you know it's it's very easy to watch from the sidelines to say that was mm. the wrong decision. But out in the middle, um, there was a couple of guys involved in that decision. They thought it was the right one. Um, and then in the day, I guess you've got to trust the umpires to make make the right decisions also under pressure. And um, mm. it didn't happen that way, unfortunately, at Headingley. But um, you know, I always say to um, to teams that um, you've got to take luck out of the equation. The great teams take luck out of the equation. Um, and, and and play good enough that they don't need luck to win. All right, Steve. Well, um, we really appreciate what you've offered to us in an international perspective. I mean, we are called the Grade Cricketer Podcast, so we can't leave without one Grade Cricket-related question. Mm-hmm. It's just really a brand commitment that we have. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm just going to ask you one, um, just with a little bit of trepidation, but I'll power on courageously. Uh, <laughs> just re- last season, it was put yep. to us that during a Sutherland versus North Sydney Grade Cricket fixture a few years ago, where your uh, very talented son Austin correct, was playing. Um, <laughs> he, he and a North yep. Sydney player seemed to enter into a bit of a running war. Uh, at one point... The Norths player turned around on the boundary to see none other than your great self on the boundary, perhaps with some excellently mm-hmm. and subtly chosen words, much to his horror. Um, the part that seemed most funny about this to us was later in the match when we're told a ball rocketed between his legs and to the boundary and you calmly walked around the boundary set at North City number two, audibly clapping and calling fielding uh, to him um, and everyone heard it. Um, the question is, A, can you verify this and B, um, you know, do, you, do you want to write a reply to that? Oh, look, it sounds reasonably correct, um, except the first part. Um, yeah, and Austin did cop an absolutely doubtful from his play, and, and as a parent, you sort of uh, look, get a little bit concerned about that. So, yeah, look, was, the rest of the story seemed pretty pretty correct. Um, yeah, there was a little bit of fun, I think, at the end of the day, and, um, and maybe <laughs> the cricket learned a lesson, but, um, yeah, that was all part of watching great cricket. I must have been, I enjoyed myself on that day, and I got a few runs, but, <laughs> yeah, in an answer, the, uh, the, the probably answer is yes, that was true. Lovely. A few cans on the hill, yeah. uh, to make a day of it. Uh, no, 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 that's um, just water, I think. Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just on the waters. Uh, that's a very uh, sufficient answer. I think that'll satisfy. It was just a little bit of advice, really, you know, just um, a bit of advice for the player, that's all it was. That's what we call it, too, advice. Um, uh, um, my face is about so to explode, good. that's Guys. hilarious. Um, uh, Tugger, thank you so much for your time. Second time you've come on the show. I mean, I think uh, anyone out there who is of high profile, if Steve Walk can come on here twice, then uh, you know there's no excuses for anyone else. So, um, <laughs> thanks again for helping us feel safe, Steve, uh, with Old Trafford and then the Oval after that. And uh, hopefully, your advice can, um, and not of the sledging kind, but your advice can help get the Aussie boys over the line. Yeah, I'll be fine. I'm, I'm really confident we can win this series. Okay, lads, uh, this is one of our most requested guests um, that we've managed to get on the line here. Um, let me give you some numbers. 411 first-class wickets, swing and angle to die for, 12 tests and 50 wickets there too. Crick Info says he's a left-arm fast bowler more suited to cold beer than high-quality champagne. Let's find out if that's true. Uh, it's Doug Bollinger. Doug, welcome to the Grade Cricketer Podcast. G'day, guys. I'd like to thank all the voters and that out there. I didn't ever thought I'd ever win an Emmy. That's a great <laughs> intro. <laughs> oh, um, my gosh. Doug, um, did, I, I, I want to kick off. We'll sort of kick off the same way, mate. And we should say for listeners out there, like you prefaced off air just before saying you're not on social media at all, which is great because um, this could go anywhere. Yeah. But, but we kick off the same way. <laughs> I read... Um, 
Well, it says, according to Crick Info again, it says, it took Bollinger until his mid-20s to develop into one of the country's best bowlers after being happy running around in Sydney Park cricket. Can you tell us first yeah. about what park cricket means to you and then about what grade cricket means to you? Yeah, absolutely, fellas. <laughs> you, try, you, like, you weren't this serious off air. That's the funny thing. Um, <laughs> what did I start? I, I started... Um, well, what can I say? I grew up in Seven Hills in, in God's country on the west of Sydney. Um, yeah, I played a bit of football, rugby league when I started for Toon Tigers. And then, uh, believe it or not, Paul Gallant smashed me one day and I thought, no, nah, that's enough of this. So I just basically gave cricket a go when I was 15 at Seven Hills Toon RSL. And, um, you know, two or three more, five, let's say four years of that. And then I got told to go and play great cricket for Fairfield. And then... You know, three games of third grade, two games of twos, first grade, then a rookie contract. Uh, it, it kind of spiralled out of control, which was fantastic. <laughs> it's just all so easy for you blokes, isn't it? Yeah, it just rolls <laughs> off the tongue. Like, oh, you know, like, can you just recall, so you said I got told to play grade cricket. Yeah. Uh, like, oh, you yeah, like... no, just, just the guys I was playing with, just the guys I was playing for 70 years with, you know, were, you know was... Two piece ball on AstroTurf wickets, so um, it, it was it was a lot of fun. But you know the guys, the guys just said, you know, go and try it. You know, just you know, as I tell kids these days, your club will always be there, your, your mates will always be there. If you if you think you got, you know, up to one percent, you think you can have a crack, just go and do it. And that's basically what they told me to do. And, and here we are today, thirty eight year old, one hundred fifteen kilos. <laughs> <laughs> Doug, you um. If I'm right, you didn't actually play cricket until the age of 15, and, and you certainly didn't play any junior rep cricket. I mean, these are the typical pathways to the Australian side. I mean, I, I still wear my junior rep shorts around the house, and I'm a 33-year-old father with a mortgage. Um, but in terms what, what, of... What, what, what shorts are they? What, what club is that? Um, you know, Emerging Blues 1999, <laughs> uh, you know, something that resonates with, I'm sure, all our audience. Um, I was a player, I promise. But, you know, you weren't in the system is what I'm saying. to bring the promise. (laughs) (laughs) Just a player. Just a player. Just a player. Um, But, mate, you you came to the game very late, obviously, and you had raw natural ability. Yeah, mate, I I was. And, you know, I I know there's all programs and all that out there now, which which can help kids and all that and, you know, young men coming through. But I'm actually glad I missed all that. I got to, you know, establish my own way and my own time and at my own pace, and I think that can be very beneficial for a lot of lot of young players out there. So, but you know, everything's changing, everything's evolving, and you know, maybe that's just the old school way of, we, you know, even you kind of guys led that way, I guess, with all the guys you played with. <laughs> I was just thinking, just like, but but when you were playing, is sort of peaking your career when you're playing your Test match cricket, you you were sort of buying 140, 145, and obviously. Uh, you know <clears throat> that uh, you, you probably got fitter as you got older and stuff, and, and you got more professional in your cricket. But like, I'm thinking about <laughs> facing you on like astroturf with a two-piece ball. Yeah. I remember talking to Sean Tate and like parents asking Sean to like bowl slower and stuff so they wouldn't hurt their children. Yeah. Like, like, how quick were you when you're bowling? You know, on astroturf with a bloody two-piece ball. That is frightening. <laughs> oh, mate, it, mate, it's hard, it's hard to tell. You know how fast you're bowling when the curfew is two in the morning for club cricket. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but no, I, I don't know. It's just different because, you know, it's a two-piece ball that swings a lot more and you probably yeah. don't have as much control, mate. And, you know, I was, I was what, you know, between 18 and 
20 years old when I, when I was doing that. So, mate, I had no idea what I was doing. I was just happy having a run around with my mates and, and, and just enjoying the game, you know, and I think that's just the best way to be. And, and so, Doug, you, you end up, you know, ascending to grade cricket to Fairfield. You're very quickly in the first grade side. Like, what are your memories of just the the culture of that side and, and grade cricket, you know, both on the field and off? Yeah. Mate, I, mate, I love grade cricket. You know, I thought grade cricket was fun, you know. I, I never thought of it, you know, when you're starting up, when you're growing up, you know, you never thought you'd be, you know, playing at, you know, Caringborough Oval or Rosedale Oval where only four guys have a six straight there kind of thing, you know. <laughs> you never think you're going to, you know, play with these these guys before and against these guys that, you know... Um, have played or played first class cricket. It, it's a massive, it's a massive shock to the system, but it's a good growing, you know, it's a good growing up curve as well. What did you like, as someone who just kind of burst on the scene late and just were clearly destroying everyone in your path? I actually remember that we're all playing <laughs> yeah. Sydney grade cricket at the same time, and basically everybody was yeah. afraid of you. Like, what did you make of the guys who? Who are you, you know, playing for? Who are you playing uh, for? Okay. <laughs> Always has to know. <laughs> Uh, n- n- North Sydney primarily, Doug, uh, and, um, oh, and, okay. and okay. Balmain. We'll come to that in a second because um, the story <laughs> there. But um, like, what what did you make of the guys who were you know walking around in the proverbial rep shorts? You know, who'd been doing it since they were kind of eleven years old and were like earmarked to go and play. Like, were they a bit worried about you just coming in out of nowhere? No, mate. Oh, to be honest, I didn't really take any notice of it because oh, you know, I was very. You know, I'd never experienced it before, so I was very green. I was very, you know, just go out there and bowl and play the game, you know. I never really took much notice of it. And to be honest, I, I didn't really know anything about it, you know. You you know, I, I just got to grow up and play the game where you do well and you get picked, you know. I think that's that's the easiest way of, of explaining it. And, um, you know, and I just had fun. But, yeah, it was good to meet those younger guys, but it probably gave you more of an opportunity to beat them, you know. You know, they've yeah. got these batters or bowlers, or probably not bowlers, they didn't bat very much, but, um, but, you know, you're bowling against these batters that are in these teams, so, you know, they, they make you in your competition, I guess. Doug, um, so, yes, you, you played for New South Wales after a single season of great cricket, and I think mm-hmm. you actually, um, when you made it to New South Wales, and we had him on the podcast earlier, Steve War, it was your first captain um, playing for yep. New South Wales. What was it like coming into the side... You know, as a raw youngster, and the great Steve War is is there as you skip up. <laughs> yeah, mate, it's it's, un, it's so unreal. It's so surreal. Well, they're the same words, really. They mean the same thing, anyway. Um, <laughs> you know, it was so good. Like, I'll just go. It was so good. No, it was so much fun. Eh? Like I just think, you know, besides Steve, you had Stephen and Mark, Michael Slater, Stuart McGill, Stuart Clark, um, oh, Michael Bevan, Brad Haddon. You mm. know, all these guys are in your team. You're thinking, holy crap, like. I was watching these blokes six months ago in the summer, just leading into this. You know, you, you, these guys are so respected and you know legends mm. of the game, and here I am playing with them. And mate, I just took it all in. You know, I'm a big question asker. I like to learn a lot. I like to ask questions, and I think you know I just really enjoyed my time with them. Did you um when you walked into like the change room? Were there were people in set positions in there, and, and where did you kind of slip into in terms of a corner <laughs> position or? Where would you kind yeah, of find a place? Think, yeah, I think you just yeah, you're right. I think you just find your way around. You know, you kind of kind of just suss out where everyone goes and where everyone sits, and and then you kind of find your own seat. And I think that, I think that's wonderful where you can find your own seat. And I, I found mine. I found mine after Brett Lee in the SCG room, um, which which was a great seat to be in. But yeah, I, I reckon that's really good that 
and you, you take your time, you soak everything in, and you think, right, that's my seat, you know. And I reckon that's really mad. When you uh, when you debuted for Australia, Doug, obviously it was an SCG home test debut. I, I believe you were quoted as saying that you would give a hundred and fifty thousand percent. Um, first of all, is that the most you've ever given anything? But also, like, was it was nah. that just a completely surreal experience? Or I mean, talk us through like how, how you sort of found out about it. I remember that. I remember that. A few people let that down, but that's you know that's that's the fun of it, mate. I'm just saying what I felt. You know, I'm about yeah. to play test cricket at the number. You know, I reckon one of the, one or two best cricket grounds in the world and you know you're excited you don't know what to say you're speechless you say silly stuff but that's just how I felt mate you know people can laugh at it that's fair enough but that's just how I felt at the time and still feel at that time when you're going to play this country do you reckon you would have had less injuries if you'd played at less than (laughs) (laughs) 150,000% just slightly So, Doug, you, um, let's go to your test career now. You took 50 wickets, um, an average of 25 in 12 tests, which is well, an absolute nightmare for OCD sufferers, but, you know, a wonderful return. Um, yep. Your first test match was against uh, South Africa, wasn't it, in the, um, yes, the, the SCG, the famous match. Yes, Can you yes, run, run us through the debut. Oh, wow. Um, what do you do? You, you, you know, you find out you're playing, you warm up. Um, Obviously, you're excited and, and, you know, you see the crowd pouring in and Ricky Potting gives you a hat and, you know, says, you know, a wonderful speech and you put it on and you warm up with it and you're just soaking up the atmosphere. You're thinking, oh, my God, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm comfortable I'm about to play a test match. And and then there it is, you know, the, the five days go so quick, you know. I think I think that's the test match Graham Smith got his hand broken, I think. And yep. they won late. I think that's the game, yep. Um but no, mate, it was good. I think I got, oh, did I get Graham McKenzie or Mono Malkle? Graham McKenzie or Mono Malkle? Um, mm. That was my first test wicket. But yeah, no, mate, it, it's just an amazing experience. And I really enjoyed the time. And, you know, it's, it's just one of those things I, I can't take away. This test was actually well known for the um, the dressing room spat between Kadich and Clark. <laughs> Can you put the issue to rest? Was this was this over the fact that Pup didn't want to sing that weird second verse that no one really knows? Um, mate, I, oh, to be honest, mate, I have no idea. Mate, I, I don't know. Everyone brought up, but I have no idea. I've probably had a couple of beers by then, just you know, taking in the party and the atmosphere after the test, mate. You know, it just I don't, I don't know. It's just one of those things that happens, and yeah, I think everyone should just put it to rest. So you um you, you played in that in the test that was probably one of Australia's well greatest ever comebacks certainly in recent time that was against Pakistan at the SCG uh-huh. in uh, January 2010 uh, for those playing at home it was Australia bowled out for 127 on the morning of day one yep. and then third innings Mike Hussey hit 138 massive partnership with Pete Siddle and they set uh, you guys set Pakistan a uh, total of 175 in the fourth innings and then you bowled them out for 139 uh, in a pretty yep. famous uh, comeback for Australia I mean, how do you reflect on that game now and, and just sort of what happened to Headingley sort of bring back any in a, any sort of similar memory sort of come from behind victories? No, mate, it, it, I think that we just played well, you know. We just knew we were in a rut, and from what I can remember, it, I, I think we all just chipped in with a few wickets. We caught well and we fielded well, and, yeah, it, it's, um, it's it's one of those games that, that can happen in the game of cricket, you know. You guys have played it pretty a bit, and the game can turn very, very quickly. So, um, yeah, they're, they're, they're always exciting, those games, and what do you say, the next one, the one at Headingley, yeah, that's... Isn't that amazing how that, that you know the game started so so on top for Australia and it just mm. just one little innings or one you know one innings of a hundred but it, you know Ben Stokes batted well um, I 
I think you guys probably watched Ball for Balls, didn't you? And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and then saw it. And, but, you know, I did as well, you know. I, 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 I can't say I didn't watch much of the World Cup, but I haven't missed much of the, uh, the Ashes. It's just because it's it's such an awesome series to watch. And I reckon yeah. England's one of the harder places to play cricket, mate. Mm-hmm. Mm. Just on that, Doug. I mean, are you still what now that you've retired? I mean, there's a lot of guys who prefer yeah. to play than watch. You know, like are you one of those guys, or do you, yep. do you like tuning in? Do you stay in touch with the guys? And what are you making of the yeah. series? You know, do you, do you think the Aussies can come back? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I still speak to quite a few of the guys a lot, actually, and it, I think it's good to keep in touch. You know, I think they're the, they're the things you you know the game will always be there, but you know the memories and the friendships you make. I've, I, I miss that the most. You know, and. Um, I try and play golf with the guys whenever I can, and um, you know it's good. It's good to be around the guys. I try and catch up with them, but you know everyone's got their own lives, and as we know now, cricket's a, a twelve-month series now. So mm-hmm. I remember when it used to be. I remember we used to be finishing one day in December, and then you wouldn't come back till start of February. So me and my now wife would go up to Early Beach for six weeks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, glorious. Yeah, uh, don't do it. Glorious. Did you just say glorious? Yeah, mm. glorious. Ellie Beach, yeah, oh, that's lovely. A good word. That's a dynamite word. I reckon the Aussies come back, come back absolutely, mate. I reckon they've played, I reckon they've played so well. I'm trying to be serious now, but I can hear you laughing. Um, but they're playing, mate, they're playing so well now. They've got a good crop. Um, I just thought today, I feel for Usman Khawaja getting dropped, but, you know, I think Stephen Smith, he's a pretty good player as well. Um and you know, Steve, uh, Stuart. I was going to about to say Stephen Star. Stuart, uh, Steve Stuart Star, uh, Starkey um, must be bowling well because I don't think James Pattinson's done you know mm. too much wrong in the couple of tests he's played. He's bowled fast. He's been aggressive. He's he's you know he's, he's got in the game and you know and that, they're just the situations you're forced with somehow. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'd, I'd love to be. I'd love I'd love to see Australia win this test. Doug, uh, it, it's a total privilege for us to be able to speak with you, a guy with um, an excellent career, and a very admirable career, a very, very quick bowler, uh, and obviously one of the more colourful guys uh, that has been extremely highly requested on this show. So um, we appreciate you coming how, on, How mate. highly requested? <laughs> yeah, truly, and, uh, and and thanks for your reflections. That's cool. No, that's good, guys. Thanks for having me, and you know what? If I can help you later on, you know, in the future, give me a buzz. It's great to talk to you, and... Any of you guys can share cricket-wise, I'd love to help you out. Doug Bollinger, what a legend. Well, listeners to this podcast have probably seen our promotion of this week's show, where you will see none other than um, the polarising Nathan Lyon at Australian Cricket Training yesterday as we go to where in his... uh, Nice Gary Budgies, hmm. uh, which many people texted us about and were excited by, and um, uh, you know, so are we. And it just goes to show that uh, you know, budgie smugglers are ubiquitous among well, the fashion elite uh, like Nathan Lyon, uh, as well as the sporting elite like Ben Stokes. Um, one thing that's worth mentioning about budgie smugglers is they keep you locked in. Now, when yeah. I say that to you, Dave, and he goes, when I say locked in, what do you think of? I'm, I'm thinking think- a locked in feel. I feel like a locked in mortgage, locked in contracts. Yeah, oh, no I'm, locked in contracts. I get concerned about being locked inside. I mean, maybe the doors are locked mm. uh, and I can't get out and that mm. causes me to fear. You know um, those like escape rooms that are in the city and you go like in a group of people that you work with and you kind of go to like, you're like, it's, it's like, a, like a solving thing. It's like a team bonding experience, but they kind of suck. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah. solving thing. It's a solving thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, or locked-in syndrome, for example. Mm, oh, God. Uh, just, you know, the past. Which is what um, I feel I have whenever I talk to you guys and the internet goes down and, I can't, and you can't yeah. hear me. Exactly. But one good, uh, I guess... Locked in phenomenon is, is is the locked in of um of your of your of your peace of your yeah. bits, yeah. and um that's yeah. something that budgie smugglers do, and that's probably why Nathan Lyon was wearing them at training on the outside uh, of his jock strap, and um yeah this is something that we'd like to amplify. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, it is funny how yeah. like budgie is part of the Ashes story now. Like people yeah. are people are sending us screenshots of stump cam of Ben Stokes's. Behind, you know, the Nathan Lyon stuff, the nice Garys, you know, we're selling the Alpha range. I thought oh, that sold out, didn't it? So, you know, it, it's it is funny how like that, like somehow Budgie have weaselled their way into the story of the Ashes, and I am here for it. Yeah. I don't think you should talk about our sponsor, you know, with the word weaselled involved, but um, <laughs> we won't edit that out because we're professional. Well, I mean, the, Budgie Smuggler does target blokes with ordinary rigs. Yep. Um, they didn't. I wouldn't be talking about this. Well, blokes with ordinary Budgie rigs Smuggler... have high levels of disposable income. Budgiesmuggler.com.au Just before we get into hashtag ICGC, um, just a chance to plug the, the... We've actually dipped our toes into the merch waters, as some many fans out there have seen. Uh, we've made four stubby holders that are available. Um, there's actually no link on our website at the moment, but uh, if you go to batutaoutfitters.com, you'll find... The, the, uh, the Grey Cricketer merchandise there, which is four different stubby holders with different uh, graphics on them. I, I encourage you to check it out at batutaoutfitters.com. We obviously thank uh, the Batuta Advocate for their help um, setting us that, that, that stuff up um, as well as, you know, this podcast. So um, there's that. And, uh, Pez, we also had to mention, uh, you know, uh, pre-season events are just starting to kick off. Season openers are starting to kick off. You know, keep us in mind. A lot of, peop- lot of people are in pre-season at the moment. There's a lot of social committees getting together. There's a lot of groups getting together talking about culture with whiteboards and stuff yep. and definitions Goal of setting. it's actually one of the hardest words to define in sociological terms but uh if your club is you know can just uh, have some sort of kickoff social function to start the year then you know consider the great cricketer uh with you know content uh, delivered and created and informed by things that happened after 1970 um you know we you, you can get in touch with us at great cricketer at gmail.com or on any of our social channels really and uh, we'll go from there or the website greatcricketer.club that's what it's there for that's a good idea um, alright uh, hashtag ICDSC here we go that's four of the best we're going to kick off with Tim Chandler he says I was at Twickenham for England versus Wales recently the seats I had were in a good location to the left of the tunnel to my surprise before the national anthems were sung I spied rare unit Bearstow walk up the steps two seats away from me Will cricket never leave me alone, he says. The crowd in the local vicinity offered a polite applause, and as he walked past, whilst I, a passionate English supporter, offered a thanks for winning the World Cup, Johnny, more on this to come. In response to this, he promptly ignored me and walked straight past, leaving me on the physical embodiment of red. <laughs> when his face was projected on the big screen later during the match, my brother, who was also at the game in the cheat seat, in the cheap seats, cuck, yelled at the screen, score some fucking runs. This is pre-Lords 50 at the projected Bearstow. My question is this, what the fuck is wrong with me? Why the fuck did I offer a polite thank you to a bloke who's a bad test away from being bowled by a wind, <laughs> wind ball on an AstroTurf in the most village setting imaginable? Am I so beta? I fall into uh, the realm of gamma. How do, I, how do I deal with rejection? Is my brother Alpha for abusing an international cricketer without any regard for any sort of consequences? Or is my brother Beta for advising a proven international test batsman on how to bat? 
uh, he is beta. He said it's for a cheap laugh. Is Bairstow Alpha for maintaining all composure in a 90,000 seater capacity stadium, or is he beta for ignoring fans and, and well wished thank yous, thoughts, and prayers? P.S. Daniel Craig was also at the game, would make a good addition to the Alpha Smugglers. He goes, Are you saying beta? Yeah. Like, I know, I, I think some people have provided feedback that that's how you meant to say it. Yeah, but... it doesn't feel right. I had to force right. the baser. Yeah. Yeah. Nah, That's a takeaway from the question. Right, yeah. Yeah. Because it, it reads as beta, obviously, or better, mm. I suppose. Better electrical. Uh, <laughs> one for the UK fans there. Sorry, just having a word association came up myself. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, an inside joke. <laughs> it's a real inside joke. You said joke. it really quickly so as to beat us to apparently saying it. Yep. Uh, Thanks for winning uh, the World Cup, Johnny. So that's what he said. Yeah. And he's, he's brushed Well, no fucking wonder he's brushed you. Like, you're two metres away from Johnny Bairstow and you've got one shot to make an impression. And that yeah, is shoot your shot, man. Fucking gut-wrenchingly sycophantic, that is. <laughs> Sad. But I understand how Tim feels because, like, we've just spent, you know, the evening talking to, I presume, all of our heroes at one point, um, Doug Bollinger, um, Steve Waugh, and, like, it is, it's nerve-wracking. You know, we, we've obviously been very fortunate enough to speak to some very successful and, you know, high-profile cricketers, mm-hmm. and, like, these people are, are legitimately heroes, and it's, it, it's, it's nerve-wracking to, like, you know, I was trembling just talking to Steve Waugh over a Skype connection. Like, exactly. I can't imagine how I would feel if I actually was yeah. face-to-face with him. Johnny, Johnny, Johnny World Cup is what they call him, but Johnny Bairstow is—he's just won the World Cup for them. And you know, two this is two weeks after the after the fact, two weeks after the event, sees him, spots him, just says a nice thing. You know, maybe Johnny didn't hear it. Uh, I don't know. It, you know, this is this is a this is actually a relatively normal Bairstow story, which I've received, which was you know I could actually read out because it's not you know libelous or whatever. Libelous. So yeah. Um, yeah, well, for, can I just clear one thing up? Clear the up, mate. brother who yells at a screen, score some fucking runs, yeah. is nothing close to alpha. No. I don't know how in any realm or world that's alpha <laughs> yelling at a screen hmm. uh, when the guy's like a couple hundred metres away from you. So let's just rule that out. It, yeah. it could be very possible that you and your brother are beta or better electrical. <laughs> um, <laughs> it could um, be possible. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Uh, this one is <laughs> this one is from someone called Anonymous, who's yeah. writing a lot of submissions lately. Hi, lads. I'm a park cricketer <laughs> who very much bats in the tail. Recently, I chucked a sickie from work to spend a day knocking in my new bat ahead of the summer season as the missus said it was too loud in an apartment block during the evening. Do I need to reevaluate my priorities in life? I was kind of wondering, like, why he made himself anonymous. If it's like his boss must also listen to the show, or if you know his significant other, uh, his missus might also listen. So you know he didn't want to shame himself in front of her. But it's probably the boss thing, right? Um, so I mean, that, that I've just answered a question to myself which didn't exist. Do I need to reevaluate my priorities in life? I'm kind of surprised that people are still knocking in bats. Like, don't yeah. aren't they pre knocked in most of them these days? Yeah, I was afraid to ask that as well, lest. Uh Giveaway they've not played the code for a couple of years. Yeah, in any it's definitely not cool to that, like, knock you in the bat yeah. publicly. No, um, you don't want to be able to answer this question because if you play enough grade cricket, you sort of end up getting on like the, you know the, the bat, um, you know black market. You know people are just yeah. handing bats over to you. Oh, this is Mossy's. You know this is his old one. So you never actually know. You just presume <laughs> yeah. that they're all. Don't know who Mossy is, but Sam, you talking like about? You talking about John Moss, the Victorian representative cricketer that you played with? 
Ian oh, Moss, well, the yeah, cold yeah, chisel I'll guitarist. I don't know how old this bloke is or whether his workplace mm. is actually missing him not being... Like, he might be a C-suite executive who's, you know, cleared his outlook to knock in a bat. And, mm. But I suspect not. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I assume he has a job that he's not emotionally or like financially kind of invested thing. in. Yeah, I think these days you can work from home. Like, flexible workplaces are very mo- modern mm. phenomena. So mm. you could... You, if you had to knock in your bat, you could work from home and knock your bat in, say, every hour for... <laughs> for 10 minutes uh, again I, I don't know what his job is um, you know if he works on a construction site or in a, on a call centre this wouldn't be feasible of course yeah. <laughs> I guess we yeah so you're saying he wouldn't need to reevaluate his priorities in life if his um, if his company had a flexible workplace arrangement yeah. Yeah. yeah if it's like a we work situation yeah yeah, yeah hot yeah. desking Hot desking. Well, we work. You would do it at a we work office. You have to pay through the nose for that stuff as well, and then you'd be knocking in a bat at your Good point. station. Good Everyone around you is building an athlete. It's insufferable. Isn't this like part of the thing of just like what? What did our parents have to go through to like you know make us you know play cricket till you know two or thirty? I'm just like, do you remember like you had to knock in your bat and you're like twelve and you just love the thing so much. And you just wanted to be prepared. You're knocking in the edges, the corners, the splice. You know, just trying to find the sweet middle. And like, nothing felt better than like you hit the middle with like the, the with the mallet and like it barely felt like that thing was hitting the, hitting the wood. You know, just so but like you're literally knocking in a house in a suburban environment. You know, you, your sister is in your you know, she's got her own things going on. Your dad just comes yeah. home from work, just wants to come out and have a quiet drink. You know, the dog's barking. Just absolute chaos. And then getting then comes to the weekend, then you got to drive like but, three hours to play a game of cricket where you get a duck and drop four catches. But he goes back then, everyone lived on a quarter-acre block. And That's a good And there point. wasn't the kind of issues around sound that exists today. You know, you yes. live, we live in paper-thin wall apartments <laughs> that have been built on the cheap, you know, cladding, all these issues. Yeah. All yeah. these modern problems all mm. kind of come together in, in this question that Spoke has asked. I don't know if we answered it, but uh, we, gave, we gave it a shot. <laughs> do, do you guys, I'd love to it. stick with it if, if we can, if yeah. it's still got some life. Like, can, can somebody explain to me the mechanics, like the architecture, the science behind about needing to be knocked in? Like, um, is it because we all pretend we know about wood and bats and stuff like that? But, like, mm. is it like what other thing do you need to? to bash manually for like four to six hours before it starts working beyond what you've got. That's um, going to, that's a question. That's going to solicit some interesting, interesting responses. Opportunities. Yeah. But, um, but yeah. like, what, what's the idea? Is it about like compressing the wood? And if so, like, wouldn't you just, shouldn't there be a machine? There sh- that should be know, automated. Right? You're right. Pet. There is Surely a there is some industry. There is. There is a machine. Yeah. yeah. But okay. Can you just explain to me just be, like, you're just making these solitary bash it, like solitary, like, Small ashes into wood, and surely they're creating just little dents in and of themselves that mm. then create a little ridge with the next element of the wood, and mm. then you've got to find that ridge and flatten it mm. out. Yeah, what, what is the science behind it? Can you, someone give me the basic principle of but, knocking in a bat? But like all, what the meaning? Yeah. I mean, I f- it feels as well like a bit like how you buy a pair of jeans, you've got to break in the pair of jeans before they're comfortable. I mean, it's, it's obviously the same thing, and also the same machine which does both of those things, i.e., a mannequin, but like. Yeah. You also can't use a new ball with a with a new bat. You have to use an old ball. So yeah. why? It's like the, the ultimate like uh, example of edging in cricket. <laughs> like you've just got yeah. to wait so long. It's so frustrating, and then yeah. finally you get to use it, and it's just such a tantric build up. It takes so long knocking in a bat, and we yeah. can't wait. We're a time poor society. We mm. want everything right now. Yep. And it's very difficult in 2019. Sting okay. was Sting was excellent with cricket bats. Really, really <laughs> took his time. Twelve hour sessions, yeah, oh. insatiable. 
consider myself educated. Julie Rogers writes in, Hi there, I I one of your very few XX chromosome listeners, but want to say that the podcast have me laughing out loud, usually on the bus to and from work, so I do get strange looks, but frankly, I don't give a shit. Higo's laugh is exceptional too. Anyway, my question is, is it acceptable now for my 16-year-old paying or playing with the seniors to wear a pair of the now famous budgie smugglers in the showers, or is it just a rite of passage for him to get naked and get on with it? Thanks to DC. <laughs> Keep laughing, Higo. Get naked and get on with it. Get on with it. 16, get on with it. To you. Get on with it. Uh, um, is your mum saying that to you? Listen, is, are you tubbing, son? In the showers? <laughs> Uh, oh, I'm not sure, man. I might wear my budgies. Listen, get naked and get on with it. Get on with it. Get on with <laughs> it. Just get on with it, mate. Oh, this is so good. I wish Thanks, that our podcast was around for my mum to listen to when I was growing up. Like these, <laughs> these insights. You are, wish you could pod- podcast to your mum. Oh, just these insights are invaluable. Like kids these days have got no idea how good they've got it. Like the internet has provided them with just a fountain of knowledge like back in our day you had to buy Britannica or you know Microsoft and Carter did a job but these days po- podcasts are just dishing out valuable life lessons for free See, I reckon he's 16 to answer Julie's question at 16 he should most definitely be wearing smugglers and you know maybe maybe smugglers have made it into the lexicon of cricketers out there where it's like acceptable to be wearing that you can wear them on the field you know heroes are wearing them during the games he's a 16 year old kid you know he's just finding himself you know he's been comfortable with his body if he's showering if he's going into the showers with grown men I say fair play to that young man you know and you know give it a couple of years and he'll be he'll be tubbing with the best of them you know four mm. hour sessions with a couple of you know uh, you know beverages obviously choice always drink yep. responsibly um but until then yeah get the get get the budgies on have a tub you know learn about yourself learn about you know strange men's uh behavioral yeah. you know get uh, naked fun. and get on with it and just remember that yeah. medicare provides six complimentary consultations um for mental health allowed down the track when you might need that I, yeah uh, like i agree with you he goes and dave especially on the um, yep. six sessions that are covered by medicare but um it, I, I just want to temper it a little bit and say, like, because we've learned from a lot of the players who've come on this show, and they're around sort of 25, 26, true, most of them international cricketers, they're saying that they hated getting the showers as kids, but now they're the kind of hunters, whereas mm-hmm. previously they were the hunted. Mm-hmm. So I think this 16-year-old is getting to the showers, and he's still got 25-year-olds uh, who are telling him he's got to get nude because that's what they were told from the previous generation. It's going to take one more generation to mm-hmm. maybe just temper the shower culture a little bit. You know, perhaps this 16-year-old could be part of the leadership movement to stop the pressure on needing to get nude, particularly when you're underage and it's probably illegal and just mm. a little bit um, sadistic to be making a child to do that. Well, all we need is a, is, a, is a hashtag. We need a hashtag to get behind and then that'll oh, really yeah. set the trend going. Yeah. yeah, that's how you do anything these days. Joe Dawson says, Hi, fellas. I am currently a student in Year 12 who is sitting there ATAR and I have my exams in quite a short period of time. My mock exams are in, are in around three weeks, whilst my ATAR exams start in October, November. I had been looking forward to the year of 2019 for a long time as I knew that both the Cricket World Cup and the Ashes in England were on, as well as all the festivities that come along with being in my final year of high school. I made an effort to attempt to watch nearly every single hour of cricket that has been on TV for the past uh, however many months. To be honest... I have lost track because I'm so sleep deprived. This is not only affecting my academic results and sporting successes, but also my personal 
and spiritual well-being and relationships. I've developed a caffeine addiction at the age of 17 due to the cricket and find myself watching the 2005 Ashes documentary on YouTube whenever I'm meant to be studying to get me in the mood for the cricket that night. A personal low came one week ago when I thought I would wing an application test, the lowest ATAR math, with around three hours sleep. I went to bed at two and woke up at five because I also happened to participate in the event of rowing. My teacher is a bit of a legend. Uh, this is why his frown of disapproval hurt when my emotional well-being when he handed back my test with a score of 25%. My final few months before I hit adulthood have consisted of falling asleep on my desk, being impersonal whilst around the presence of other human beings, and have extreme sleep deprivation. Not to mention such events such as England tying the World Cup, questioning why I'm persisting at life if someone as nice as New Zealand can have something they were so deserving of taken away from them. So my question is, do I let cricket get in the way in what was before this year a seemingly bright and successful future? Should I let my emotional dependence on the fickle sport of cricket get in the way of my HR exams, personal relationships and healthy lifestyle? And should I draw a line in the very new future before my life goes off the rails and I'm a 35-year-old man with an alcohol addiction who brags about how much potential he had at school only to work in the public sector as a PR advisor? (laughs) Oh, man. This, uh, um, thanks, Joe. This Good young question. bloke seems to have a great level of self-awareness and yeah. is clearly writing to us for his own personal amusement, yep. as evidenced by you know, Could some have been quip, studying during the whole quips time. around yeah, the meaning of life and yeah, the alcoholic private sector worker. So I've got no doubt that he'll be successful in life regardless of his ATAR results. So, mm. mate, keep staying up and watching cricket. Drink your coffee. Do all the stuff that makes you happy because life is short and you're young and you're probably quite employable. So good luck to you. Yeah, I was really enjoying the question to that final uh, line. Uh, hit uh, extremely close to home. But, um, <laughs> um, shit, shit, like alarmingly close to home. But um, I mean, I guess the other flip side of this is that, like, yeah. Also, if you're a cricketer, Joe, and it, it appears as though you are, what you're doing is a long game excuse, like a long game mm-hmm. setup for why you got a low ATAR, right? And I say that um, as someone who has some experience of that, but. Um, you know, if you if it's just about what you want, you know, if you want a higher ATAR, then you've got to make those sacrifices. But if you want to make an excuse and just say that I watched the cricket the whole time, and for that to work quite well, then keep doing what you're doing. Also, I'm your dad. <laughs> <laughs> That's weird. How dryly you said that. Joe, your ATAR score will not define you as a person. It's very hard when you're in year 12 and, like, all your friends are talking about and there's familial mm. pressure and all that stuff. It's a cocoon that you get, that you get uh, trapped in. It won't define you and people will forget about it in a year or two's time. But what people won't forget about is the 2005 Ashes series. You know, it could be worse as well. You could be a 33-year-old man who, you know, uh, you, you know podcasts about cricket endlessly um, with said <laughs> alcoholic consumption. Um, all right. Uh, if there's no other business, uh, I'll wrap it up here. <laughs> I mean, lads, thank you so much for Doug Bollinger for joining the show, for Steve War for joining the show. Uh, Old Trafford is in – it's tomorrow, isn't it? Uh, what's going to happen? We'll be back immediately after the end of uh, the fourth test match over there in Manchester. So we'll see you then. Ian Higgins here signing off with Sam Perry and Dave Edwards. We'll see you next time.